0: And the reason I call it a Lincoln sandwich was because a couple of weeks ago I was preaching in Lincoln, Illinois. And then a week or so ago I was preaching in Nixon, Missouri, and today I'm in Lincoln, Nebraska. So I saved you guys to complete my sandwich for today. Yeah, I am up to a lot of different things. I can't seem to get away from it. As Larry mentioned, I, I started my life as a teacher in high school and college basketball coach transitioned into the ministry over the years. I don't know how long, this is 50-some years I've been in ministry, I guess. Uh, but I should probably just update you a little bit what, I, what I'm what i doing. Uh, I am still almost 20 years into teaching at uh, Angola Prison uh, down in Louisiana. have really enjoyed that, have many friends. In fact, I had a couple of Happy Father's Day greetings uh, this morning from inmates. Hayward sent me a wonderful note. He said, even though I call you my brother from a different mother... I want to tell you, you've been a father to me in the faith, so that's kind of encouraging. Uh, I have been a part of Christ for India for almost 20 years, uh, currently serving as vice president, um, and I'm transitioning from that a little bit to now I've had a new duty called being president of the Genesis Commission. Someday I'll tell you more about that. That's kind of an exciting new venture in how we're able to do some uh, interesting mission work elsewhere. I've also been serving as both president and vice president of the Theological Council for Crossways International Ministry, which kind of boggles my mind. Anybody who went to school with me would probably be stunned that I'm a pastor, first of all. Uh, but second of all, that I would be responsible for preserving the theological integrity of a major Christian publishing company. Uh, that scares me, too. Um, <laughs> And uh, I've also been, a, I'm an itinerant preacher and teacher, and God willing, Nancy and I will be overseas sometime in November. I have an invitation to teach in Nepal, and we want to get back to Christ for India campus again and kind of renew uh, <clears throat> some old acquaintances there. Um, also, just finished uh, a writing project with a um, a partner. Uh, we decided to rewrite the Lutheran lectionary. How about that, Larry. Uh, that's not met with really great response from Lutherans or Catholics, which is okay by me. But we put together a one-year, we're going to call it connection points in the biblical narrative, where if a pastor really wanted to, he could preach his people through the entire life of Jesus in one year, connecting Old Testament, other scriptures, and the life of Jesus. It's getting some pretty good uh, responses in non-Lutheran circles thus far. And we're going to test it out in prison a little bit later this year. I'm also happy to be back. This is 10 years almost to the day. Uh, Larry was being installed as your pastor. We were meeting a little bit further down. And I'm also very happy to be here today to continue your series on the book of Psalms. And when I grabbed a little Bible out of my car this morning, I thought, well, I'd bring it in just to show you I do preach from the Bible. Uh, I opened it up to Psalm 100 And I had uh, one word written there, and the question was, why? And I don't remember when I did this, but when I look back at the psalm, it says, Shout for joy, worship the Lord, know the Lord is God, enter His gates with thanksgiving, give thanks to Him, and then I wrote the word, why? Well, that's kind of what the whole sermon is about this morning. Why should we do this, and why should we do this to all generations? Thank you very much for... I told my wife I think she's preaching my sermon. I'm I'm sitting here editing it. But it's really good. I'm glad you shared that with the with the kids. This text Psalm 100 is really one of the most beloved uh, psalms. Uh, many years ago, this uh, hymn or this psalm was sung to the tune of what they called the Old 100th. If you are a Lutheran from way back in the old TLH, uh, today we kind of know it as the Doxology. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Uh, You can actually find a kind of a contemporary musical version of Psalm 100. Uh, Some of them actually sing it to all creatures uh, that on earth do dwell. And uh, the Hebrew text actually calls it a psalm for giving thanks. And even though there are a lot of uh, Thanksgiving psalms of the 150 in your scriptures, this is the only one that is specifically titled that way. It's sometimes called Jubilate, joy. Uh, o be joyful. Uh, in an Old Testament time, Psalm 100 was used part of their synagogue worship. And so these simple words we're going to look at today have been used by God's people in worship for over 3000 years. So this is golden oldie Sunday at Word of Life in Lincoln. But I want to draw your attention. I'm only going to talk about verse five this morning and uh, it gives us three reasons to praise God, and they're they're relatively simple. And, and verse five says, "For the Lord is good and steadfast love; His steadfast love endures forever, and His faithfulness to all generations." And, and it's really kind of neat that to all generations falls on a Father's Day Sunday as well. So we can see that the very first reason to praise God is that the Lord is good. I mean, that's pretty simple. The Lord is good. And that's what scriptures say, for the Lord is good. Now, this is talking about God's character, that God is good. He always does good. I mean, he cannot do anything other than good. Now, I don't know the personal circumstances of all of you here today. I barely know mine. I know some of my wives, you know, but there are what your circumstances are. I really don't know. Uh, but I'm guessing that some of you are perhaps either in difficult places, getting ready to go into difficult places, or just coming out of difficult places. Uh, you're kind of maybe wondering whether things are going to get better in your life or not. But while I don't know the particulars of your life, I do know one thing, and that is God has been good to you. That I know. Now, I'm going to illustrate this. A number of years ago when I was in Nigeria teaching... Uh, I learned this, and I think they do it in Nigeria and other parts of Africa, and I know we've done it in India before. A lot of pastors teach this to their people, uh, and it's a simple antiphonal chant. I had to use some Lutheran language this morning. I used the word antiphonal, so that gets me some credit in the Lutheran church. The pastor says this, God is good, and the people respond by saying, all the time. And then the pastor says, all the time. And the people respond with, God is good. And then the congregation would shout together, and I am a witness. Now, we're going to try that. Do you think you got this down? This is pretty difficult stuff, but let's try this. God is good. All the time. All the time. God is good. And I am a witness. Now, what a powerful and personal affirmation that is. I mean, not just that God is good. I mean, this much we already know. But to declare out loud in one voice that it's all the time that God is good, and in every circumstance, what? We are His witnesses to it. And I find that personally affirming. See, everything we see around us really confirms this great truth. I mean, sometimes God's goodness is seen very quickly. wow, wow, boy, God was good, wasn't He? Other times it's like, I wonder when God's going to start being good again. (laughs) We're kind of wondering about this. But eventually we realize something, and that is that nothing leaves God's hand that does not touch his goodness in one way or another. Now, I'm sure that all of us could probably make any lengthy list of things to give thanks to God for. Uh, For family, for friends, for good health, for good grades, for good jobs, a good report from your doctor, and on and on and on. However, Psalm 100 asks us to praise God, not for the good things he gives us, but simply because he is good. He's good. Now, what do we mean today when we say God is good? Well, sadly, I think the word good doesn't mean much anymore. Parents, when you ask your kids, how was school today? Well, they go, hmm, it's good. You say to your wife or husband, how are you today? Hmm, I'm good. Um... I do this every once in a while. My wife doesn't like it, but uh, I'll go to a store and, you know, the cash. She'll say, have a good day. And I say, no, thanks. I have other plans. (laughs) I'm not really supposed to do that, but it slips out every once in a while. Now, we often use the word good. But exactly what does that mean? Now, one author points out that being good means sharing what you have with other people. I mean, that's certainly good. I mean, you share your food with people who are hungry. Uh, you give of the, yourselves to somebody who's sick, you visit them, you visit prisoners, uh, you visit the elderly, you reach out, I mean, you're, you're doing good. But you know something, on a much grander scale, we can see the goodness of God just in the creation of this universe. I mean, I, this is kind of an interesting thing to me, that God did not create us because he lacked anything. God does not need us. It's kind of astounding, isn't it? God didn't create us because there was something missing in his life. He created us because he desired to share his his image with us. He didn't have to do that, but he did that because that's how good a God we have. Scripture says he made us and we are his. That's what the psalmist says. And the very fact that you are even here today, your existence proves the goodness of God. He cared enough to create you. He cared enough to send His Son to die for you. Now, surely, God is good all the time. All the time is is good. And guess what? You and I are witnesses to that fact. That's why we need to learn to tell what I call God's stories. Now, I'm going to mention a person I've gotten to know in the last couple of months. Her name is Monica. She happens to be a barista at a coffee shop I go to most every morning. A number of weeks ago, I said, what are you doing this weekend? She says, well, I, I'm going to go out. I've got three girlfriends. We're just going to hang out by the lake. And I said, are you going to be telling God stories? And she says, what do you mean? I said, well, Monica, has anything good happened to you lately where you just kind of went, wow, only God? <laughs> she said, oh, yeah, lots of things. I said, share a few of those. Well, Monday when I went back, she said, oh, what a great weekend. She said, we were sitting around, and the girls were like, what should we do? And I said, let's tell God stories. (laughs) And we spent an evening telling each other how good God was. You know, sometimes people will actually stop you and talk to you, and they ask you how things go. Now, you don't want to just jump right into it, but I think we need to tell more God stories. We need to build relationships between ourselves and other people kind of like building a bridge between us and somebody else. When you build that relationship, eventually you can take Jesus across that bridge as you tell a God story to share that. Well, here's another way uh, to praise God. Why? And it says his love endures. His steadfast love endures forever. And some versions of the Bible say his steadfast mercy endures forever. Uh, But God's goodness speaks of his character. Mercy speaks of his nature. See, mercy is God's goodness in relationship to sinners. And I'm pretty sure that all of us here this morning are sinners. In fact, I know some of you better than others. You're maybe better sinners than others as far as I know. Some of you are my relatives and I know it for sure. Uh, see, if, God, if God's goodness speaks of his character, we're going to deal with his mercy here too. He forgives sin. He forgives past sin. He pro- forgives present sin. He, com- he forgives future sin. And because God's mercy endures forever, guess what? There is no end to this forgiveness, this mercy that he extends to us. See, before time, the Bible says he was the eternal father of mercies. And since God is eternal, his mercy extends all the way into the future further than the human mind can even conceive. And when eternity is finally done, if we could actually figure out what that means... God's mercy will still endure. It never runs out. It's never exhausted. And when you feel like you've used up your entire allotment of mercy and forgiveness, you're going to discover that there's still a giant river flowing from the the throne of God. See, God's mercy is not like the weather. And thank you for inviting me for the College World Series where I could sit in 100-degree heat to watch the longest nine-inning baseball game in the history of the College World Series yesterday. But it doesn't depend upon the weather. It does not depend on anything you may do. There's nothing you can do, as they say, to make God love you more, and there's nothing you can do to make God love you less. His mercy is so great, His love is so free, that it is truly infinite... And everlasting. Now, where do we see God's love and mercy? I'd say most clearly we see it at the cross. You you fix your eyes on the bloody cross of Calvary and you gaze into the dying eyes of the very son of God. And there you find grace unmeasured. There you find mercy undeserved. There you find love that's way beyond anything we could ever ask for or imagine. Now, a month or so ago, I, I received an email message from someone I, I didn't know. It seems that this woman has been attending a church where I preach at in the Springfield, Missouri, Nixa area uh, since about the first of the year when I started helping those two churches. And she wrote to me a little bit of her personal story and her struggle to actually live for the Lord. I want to read you just kind of the tail end of her email. She said, your messages on God being faithful to the fallen and the tempted shook me in my very seat. Sometimes I feel as if you have a spotlight on me as you preach and I wish you would shut it off and shut up because (laughs) she's being honest and everyone knows you're talking about me. (laughs) But your message on God finishing what he started really helped me in a way you will never realize to know that God will do something with me is joy enough. I often feel like I'm just trudging through my days waiting for something miraculous to happen. Just hoping that I don't fall into some other great sin. If I could just make it to Sunday, then I'll be okay, has been my plea for many years. But knowing that God wants to do something with me has rekindled a little more faith for my future. God's truly amazing grace is so simple, and when understood, it's all based on His love. And no matter what I do or don't do, no matter who I struggle with becoming, and no matter what I do to mess everything up, he still has a plan for me. What an awesome God I serve. Now, friends, that's the difference God's love, His goodness, and His mercy, and His faithfulness brings. His mercy endures forever. But there's a third reason here, and that is because His faithfulness continues. In fact, it says to all generations. Now, we can face the future with confidence because His faithfulness is going to keep on going whether we want it or not. Now, some translations say his truth endures forever. And that's entirely correct because God's truth and his faithfulness both kind of spring from that same nature of him being a loving, merciful God. I mean, God is true in himself. There's no deceit in God, no falsehood, no error in his nature. He's true in dealing with his creation. He's true in dealing with us. Uh, he's true in his promises. Now, where could you possibly find a promise that God has not kept? I mean, what has God ever said that he has not followed up on? See, no changes can produce changes in God. I mean, the scripture says, I am the Lord, I change not. Well, some of us, we're like chameleons. We change all the time. See, all things are moving according to God's divine plan. There are no mistakes. Now, you might think otherwise. You might say, well, all things are against me. But that's not true. All things are for you. The problem is you just don't quite see it yet. See, God is always out there ordering for the best. Now, that final phrase to all generations, now it literally means from generation to generation. From what? Little pea pebbles all the way up to snowballs and beyond. Now, Exodus chapter 20, verse 6, if I make an Old Testament connection a little further back, actually says... Uh, his love is to a thousand generations. Now, I had to figure that out. Uh, biblical generation is what? It's 40 years. Yet, um, and so we could safely conclude that God's love will, will continue at least, well, 40 years up to this point. is 3,500 years, which means we still got 36 1,500 years to go. We're only 10% of the way through the length of God's love. Now, some of you are kind of going, Oh, come on. <laughs> That's not literal, is it? <laughs> well, the answer is probably not. But it's not figurative either. It's not figurative either. It's a way of showing us that God's love and faithfulness will go way beyond our human understanding. Now, I don't know if we had this. I thought about it, so we had it this morning. But I just want you to imagine up here front if we had a grandfather, a son, a grandson, and a great-grandson standing in front of us. The text tells us that what God was to the grandfather, he will be to the son And what he is to the son, he will be to the grandson. And what he is to the grandson, he will be to the great-grandson. He will be there to all generations. And it just goes on century after centuries. Generations come, generations go. Only God remains forever. Now, I'd say that's kind of our hope at the point of death. You just celebrated a funeral here. This is why we actually rejoice when we bury the dead. It, when I think back across the many funeral services that I have done in my ministry years, I, just, I, I think of the solemn privilege that has been mine to lay to rest some of the greatest saints of God I have ever known. And more than once when I preach in a funeral service, I remind people that nothing of God dies when a man or woman of God dies. See, we don't need to fear death as a Christ follower because we're basically immortal until we die. I mean, you just can't die. And actually, you don't really die. You kind of take your last breath down here, and you take your next breath up in heaven. A number of years ago, I had a reception following a funeral. I think it might have been back at Texarkana. I don't remember who did this, but one of the family members got up and asked if they could pray. And they prayed something like this. We thank you, Lord, for the death of one of our saints. Some go before, some go after. But one by one, your children pass from this life directly into heaven. Now, I don't know that I've ever heard anybody pray a prayer giving God thanks for somebody dying. But those words kind going of to touch my heart. See, I'm glad for God's thankfulness. It transcends generations. Now, I'm 73 years old, and I'm heading for who knows what. Well, I, I've got my Aunt Esther here this morning who's 99. I might catch that. I might blow right past her. I don't know i got my aunt who's 95. i got a mother-in-law who's going to be pushing 95, 96 years old. I may not make it to the first game, first game today. I don't know when it's going to be. But not long ago in my Friday morning Bible class at the College of the Ozarks, one of the people asked a very interesting question. And I'm going to ask it of you. If you were dying and you had just 30 seconds to pass along your highest values to your family, what would you say? You got 30 seconds to pass along your highest values to your family. Immediately I thought of a phrase of mine, it's kind of my mission statement, which is see the vision, live the mission, feel the passion. We ought to see the vision of the past, of where God has been in our life. We need to see a vision of where God is in the present. We need to see a vision where God will ultimately be in the future. We need to live the mission, and there is only one mission. It is that go-commission. It is the co-commission. It is not the O-mission, by the way. I love Acts chapter 1, verse 8, because it says you need to feel the passion. It says, when the Holy Spirit comes on you, you will what? You will be my witnesses. Now, witness in the Greek is martyrio. It means... You're going to be my martyrs. In fact, when you read the New Testament, every time you see the word witness, when he asks you to be a witness, understand that word means you're ready to die for the cause of Jesus Christ. If that's all they put on my tomb was my name, when I was born, when I died, and put down vision, mission, and passion, that would be enough. In one sense, that's all I really care about. And I I would just say if my kids and if my family understood that, And if they carried it on, I would just be happy as a clam at high tide. But, you know, if my values are weak, that promises becomes punishment. But I'm praying that my family would follow on. And because God is faithful, we can trust him throughout all generations. And this is great hope, I think, for parents who worry about their kids. I don't know any parents that don't worry about their kids to some extent. I mean, mine are creeping into their 50s now. We still worry about them from time to, what are they up to now? Uh, but, you know, the God who took care of us will take care of our children. And the God who will take care of our children is the same God who's going to take care of their children and on and on and on. Now, as I grow progressively older, I realize that I am less and less certain about certain things. But I am more and more certain about other things, and I'm going to end by just telling you three things I know for certain. Well, Miss, the Lord is good. I know that beyond measure. His mercy endures forever, His faithfulness continues from generation to generation. Those are five things I know for sure. I made a phone call to a very good friend. Yesterday, as we were driving down on Friday from, uh, driving up here, I guess, from Branson, Missouri. And John is 75 years old and he's bedridden now and told me that he will probably be going on hospice sometime this week. And John is a very important person in my life. Former Marine. But the one thing he kept saying is, Doc, I'm ready. I'm ready. He's reading his devotions, he's reading his scriptures, and he even torments himself by listening to my sermons online. But he's ready. John knows that the Lord is good, even though he's dying of cancer. He knows that God's love endures forever. He knows that God's faithfulness has been with him through all kinds of generations. And so, friends, I'd encourage you today, too, uh, if you're weary, if you're tired, if you're discouraged, if you need a fresh start, if you know your life, you feel like your life is going nowhere, if you want your sins forgiven, if you want to know God, then just drop what you're doing and run to the cross because that's where you're going to find out that God is good, that his love and mercy is there and his faithfulness is always going to be there. Now, that's really all I got to say, but I think it's probably enough. And so friends may God always give you the strength and power to believe and may he give you wings to fly to the cross to lay hold of Jesus and hang on tight. God bless y'all. In Jesus name we saved.